Morning Springs Community Church. I'm so excited to be back with you guys. My name is John. I serve as pastor here. Man, whether this is your first time joining us online, you've been a member, whoever you are, wherever you are, welcome. Join with me as we start our time in prayer. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the gift that it is to gather. I thank you for your people. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you want to stir in us a devotion to you. So Lord, I'd ask you to do that in your church. Would you create that devotion? Lord, I pray for those who watch this who don't know you. May they come to know you. But God, wherever we are, help us to leave here more in love with you than when we came. We can't do that. I can't do that. Only you can. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, guys, I'm so excited to be with you, especially to see where we are in the passage as we continue working our way through the book of 2 Timothy. Now, to start this, I wanted to bring in an illustration from a friend of mine. So I'm going to invite up my friend, co-laborer, and pastor, M.K. Gauchi, and she's going to do something for us. Hey, y'all, parents, families, kids, I miss y'all so much. If you are in elementary school or preschool, know that I miss you. I can't wait until we get to see you next, uh, the next time that we do get to see y'all. So today, I've got something that my preschool friends, I think that you're going to recognize, I think that you've heard it before. So a lot of y'all probably know that when we talk about the Bible, we always want to remember that the Bible is absolutely true. And some of our preschool friends know that we have a song that we like to sing to help us remember that. So however old you are, if you have preschoolers, if you have elementary school kids, middle school, high school, I know you think you're too cool for this, but go ahead and stand up anyway. Families, even if you have um, singles with no kids, whoever you are, I want everybody to stand up and we're going to do a little chant together. So it's going to go something like this. You're going to tap your legs like this, tap, tap, and then you're going to clap your hands. And you're going to say, absolutely true, absolutely true. Everything the Bible says is absolutely true. All right, now we're going to all do that together one time. Absolutely true, absolutely true. Everything the Bible says is absolutely true. All right, go ahead and give a high five to somebody who was next to you. So I just want to show y'all a short little clip of a couple of our friends doing this as well, and then we're going to go back to John. He's going to tell us a little bit more about that today. God is absolutely true. God absolutely true. God absolutely true. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. I just love that. Uh, not even the fact there's adorable kiddos, the Mecklers, my daughter Liddy. Not even the fact that they are sitting there singing that, absolutely true. I just love seeing MK up here doing that. That just filled me with joy. I hope it filled you guys with joy. But I, I imagine what you already know is what we're going to talk about today. Today, we are going to spend our time talking about how God's word is absolutely true. Now, we're going to frame it, and we're going to say it a little bit differently. We're going to say it in a way that I think connects to the heart in a different way, perhaps if you're beyond elementary, middle, things like that. Today, we are going to spend our time talking about how you and I, if you are a believer in Christ, as well as if you're not, how we are called to take God at his word. Because the Bible is absolutely true, and when I say absolutely, I actually mean absolutely. We are called to take God at his word. 
There's a famous quote that I imagine some of you have perhaps heard before. It's by the theologian, the preacher, the professor, A.W. Tozer. It's a quote that says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Here's why I share that quote. As we talk about that God's word being absolutely true, God's word is meant to be the number one thing that informs your view of him. It is meant to be the number one thing that informs that when you think of God, what fills your mind? When you think of God, is he kind and gracious and loving? Or when you think of God, is he distant? Is he detached? Is he disappointed? Do you know the difference between those two thoughts? I've had them both. I imagine you have too. The difference between those two thoughts for the follower of Jesus Christ is the clarity that you can find in God's word. See, when you see God as kind and loving and gracious, helping the repentant, helping the follower of Christ, what does that lead to? That leads to a life where I, as an individual, I am more kind, I am more gracious, I am more loving. I'm a husband that's merciful. I'm a husband that's kind. I'm a father that's gentle. I'm a father that's patient. I'm a father that's loving. So here's what's true. Whoever you view God to be, I'm pleading with you today to take God at his word. Why? It transforms how you view him, which transforms how you and I live. And here's why I think this matters. Like if you're, if you're tracking with this and you don't believe in Jesus or, or you're far off or you're coming back to faith or, or, or whatever the reason might be, so many times people have a dislike, a distrust of God. And they, they attach that to Christianity. But really, their definition of a God is not the God of the Bible. It is not a God that when you come and you take him at his word, you see him. It's like a caricature. So here's why. When you think of God, it's one of the most important things about you. And today, I want to plead with you. I want to show you. I want to remind myself how we are called to take God of his word. We're going to be in 2 Timothy, as I shared. We're, we're journeying through this book of the Bible. Paul, he's written this beautiful letter to his disciple, his mentee, his friend, his spiritual son, Timothy. He's writing to Timothy in the midst of persecution, fear of death, fear of imprisonment, fear of abandonment. Members of this church body, Timothy, he was in Ephesus, would have been running for their lives for the persecution that was coming. In the midst of this letter, Paul, he's building this almost crescendo, this manifesto of the biblical truth, God's word. And in the midst of it, he's reminding Timothy to continue. He's reminding Timothy to press on, to keep going, and going with what? Trusting in the authority, the sufficiency, and the beauty of God's Word. So specifically, we're going to be in chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 14 through 17, where we are going to talk about how you and I, church, we must take God at his word. We're going to see that show up in really three ways. We're going to see how God's word, it is meant, it is purposed in three ways. The first, we're going to see how it is the foundation of the family. It is for then the salvation of the soul. And finally, we will talk about how it is for the formation, the spiritual makeup of the believer. So if you have a Bible, turn with me. Uh, 2 Timothy 
chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 14 through 17, and then we're going to jump back up towards the top, and we're going to talk about 14 and I think the first half of 15. But starting at the beginning, verse 14. But as for you, excuse me, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. I love that language, the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. See, all Scripture, it's breathed out by God. Beautiful language. It's breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man, and right here, that's the man or woman, the man or woman of God may be complete. Your Bible may say competent. Equipped for every good work. So as we see, we take God at his word. Let's look at the first theme that we're going to pull out of this passage. Our first theme back in 14 through the beginning of 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. The first thing that we see here, guys, is we are called to take God at his word. The first thing we see here is that God's word, it is purposed. It is intended to be the foundation of the family. Now, foundation, if you grew up in church, it's a word that's most often connected with Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation of our faith. He is what makes faith itself possible. All that is true. I'm using this word foundation much the same way you'd speak to the foundation, right? Like a house built on a rock. The call and the clarity and the direction that God gives for the faithfulness in your life. How that is meant to be something that permeates, that saturates, that infills your family, and mine. But when I say family, let's break that down from the passage. The first section that you see here, it's really Timothy talking about Timothy's understanding of these sacred writings. He starts there, but as for you, this is Paul writing to Timothy. If you remember last week, it talked about the reality of imposters and the persecution that can come from without. Paul right there, he's just contrasting Timothy as a leader to some of those previous ones, and he's reminding him continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. We saw that Timothy, he knew these writings to be sacred. I love even the process. Paul's calling him, continue, keep going, Timothy. I know it's hard. Keep going. And he reminds him of his childhood. He says, you've learned these things, Timothy, and you have firmly believed them. That means to be convinced There's this direct connection, guys, between coming and humbly learning the Word of God and from that growing in a love, an appreciation, and a commitment to them. Paul's reminding him the foundation of the family starting with Timothy in childhood. The second thing he's going to go, and he's going to remind Timothy of the family that instilled this love of Scripture in him. Continuing on from there, he jumps back in. He reminds him, he says, knowing from who you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. I love this because it shows the broadening definition of the family, not just in the individual, but it goes up. It's going to go biologically as well as spiritually. Let me talk about biologically first. He's saying, remember the ones that entrusted to you the word of God. You guys may remember if you journeyed with us through Second Timothy, back in chapter 1, we saw a beautiful shout out to Lois and Eunice. These are Timothy's grandmother and his mother and how they had poured into him a faith 
and a love of God. Paul's saying, hey, Lois and Eunice, they poured into you the beauty and the truth and the majesty of God's word. Remember this, Timothy. Biological family, foundation. The second thing that Paul is alluding to here is I think he's alluding to himself. Paul's language with Timothy is often like spiritual son. Paul's referencing to Timothy, the sense of Timothy, I have poured into you the truth of God's word. You see, Timothy, by about the age of five, he would have been trained in the Hebrew scriptures, right? And then upon meeting Paul, there would have been a retraining and a reminder in the beauty of Jesus Christ through them. It was always exalting the sacred writings. Paul's reminding him, in the midst of his difficulty, in the midst of perhaps his doubt, in the midst of persecution, at a time when Timothy could set aside the word of God, could set it aside, and as he did it, life, I imagine, would be less painful. It would be less fearful. It would be less concerning. Paul is doubling down and reminding him, stay firm on the foundation of God's word. It's this beautiful thought in the midst of it. Because Paul right here is reminding Timothy of his inheritance. Here's what I mean. I can promise you, if you are watching this, regardless of your wealth, economic position, wherever you are, whether you have a family or you don't, if one day you desire one, I can promise you, you can leave them an inheritance. People tend to think about inheritance as, as purely monetary. And hear me acknowledge, of course, that's part of it. But part of your inheritance is the legacy that's left for you. Part of the inheritance that you leave to the generation that follows you single, whether you have a family, whether you have children or not, is part of the inheritance. One of the greatest inheritances you can ever receive, you can ever see modeled, you can ever see reminded of, is the people of God who take him at his word, who see his sacred writings as sacred. The kids who grow up in the homes where mom and dad don't just come and reference the Bible on Sunday mornings or talk about it, but they see in mom and dad a real and sincere love of Scripture. The community group that gathers of singles and that when they come to talk about, well, hey, here's how I'm doing in my dating relationship or hey, here's how I'm doing at finishing college, they see in you a desire to advise and to counsel with what? Not your opinion, but with the sacred writings of God. You're building this family, a spiritual one, as well as what can absolutely be a biological, but you build it on this foundation of God's word. We came and at the beginning we kind of sang and it was silly, that song, God's Word is Absolutely True. A thing that reminded me of that this week. Last week when I was preparing for my sermon, I was writing it at home. If you missed the sermon, go, go back and listen to it. It's this call to follow the way of Jesus. And there's this, specifically this point that if you follow the way of Jesus, if you desire to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. Literally, I'm working my way, I'm studying, I'm putting the finishing uh, touches on it. Taylor, my wife, she comes in and she's holding my five-month-old trip. Now, now Trip's this beautiful baby boy. I have prayed for his salvation repeatedly. I'm in the middle of this text. I'm realizing godliness leads to persecution and I come and I see Trip and there's this moment. Son, I pray for one day because of a chosen godliness. You face the privilege of persecution. 
there's this moment for me as a dad. I'm sitting there, my wife's there, she's just brought him in. She's a little bit like, whoa, this is intense. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm writing a sermon, right? And I, I look at Trip, and there's this pause in me. There's this pause in me because I'm his dad. I want to do anything and everything I can to almost shield him from pain, to avoid him from that. I don't want that for him. Yet grounded in God's word, there's this truth, this beauty of son. I pray you know Christ, and from knowing him, you live godly, and from godly, you face the privilege of persecution for your godliness. But Taylor walked up, she brought Trip, and there's this pause in between us. Because Taylor can see there's this moment where I'm realizing, wait, I'm praying for his persecution. There's this pause, and my beautiful wife, the leader that she is, the lover of Jesus Christ, she fills the space. She leads the moment. And she steps up, she takes trip, she's already got him in his arms, she starts bouncing him, and she starts singing, God's word is absolutely true. God's word is absolutely true. And she's infusing in my son, I know he's five months, he doesn't fully get it, but she's infusing in him this truth, the foundation of this family out of a love for Jesus Christ is God's word. I want to give my family that inheritance. I want that inheritance for the Springs. I want that inheritance for New Braunfels, the community, how the word of God is true. And because it's true, what do we do? Take him at his word. Let's keep looking back in the passage. Let's keep seeing what it has here. I want to jump back into verse 15, and we're going to read that through the the start of 16, and then we're going to talk about it. Starting in 15, and how from childhood you have acquainted yourself with the sacred writings. Remember that word acquainted. We're going to come back to that. You have acquainted yourself with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God. The second part is we see that we are called to take God at his word. We see this truth of what its purpose is, what its meaning is, what its divine intention is. God's word is meant for the salvation of the soul. The salvation of the soul. The part of this passage I want to zoom in on is everything that you see there from sacred writings all the way to all scripture. Right here, what you see, Paul, he is spanning his arms and he is bridging this gap from the Hebrew scriptures to New Testament writings, which were taking place. Some of those letters had already been finished, but they were still being completed. And he's bridging that gap in between the two. You see, sacred writings, that would have been language for your Hebrew scriptures. That is your Old Testament. That's everything from Genesis to Malachi, the first five books, including the Torah. Everything of those prophets all of that truth. And then the word scripture, it's obviously, it's a different word. Scripture in your New Testament, it can be used not only in reference to old, but also in New Testament writings. Paul right here, he's bridging this gap between the sacred word of God. It's God's divine inspiration. And what's true of it? It makes wise for salvation. It makes wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means embedded inside this divinely inspired, God's breath on a page, this book holds the keys and the beauty of eternity. The reality of coming to see who God is, how you and I are sin, it separates us from him, but he doesn't want that. So what did he do? He didn't make you and me work our way back. 
He sent his son down. Where his son died and he paid the penalty for my foolishness, my brokenness, yours as well. Your hidden sin as well as what people know. He died on a cross and he rose three days later. And he said, believe. Faith in Christ Jesus, making wise for salvation. A changing of your eternity. A changing of your relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth. You must know this salvation. But as I share that, for those of you that I pray you come to know, what's true is perhaps many of you listening, you say, okay, I, I know that. I know the God of the scriptures. I know the God of the sacred writings in the scriptures, how you have always been saved from Old Testament through new, saved by faith in the promises of God, so fulfilled in Christ Jesus. I know that. Okay. Then I would ask you this. Do you view his word, what you are called to take, as true? Do you view this word as not only the place that divinely reveals that, but also as the place where you get to know the God in heaven who has come to rescue, to redeem, and to connect with you? Like if you view him as redeemer, do you come here and you meet with the one who's redeemed you? Do you come here and do you turn pages not in a rote obligation, but in real devotion? Not trying to impress, not trying to quote, not for the purpose of information, but because you want your soul to be more like Jesus Christ. He's come to save you, but this book also tells you how to live in freedom. See the past like three weeks. Church, I think so many of us, when it comes to God's word, we intellectually say, yes, it's true, it's wonderful, it's beautiful, it's right. Yet in our own life, we don't view this as a place where we can come and we can get to know the God in heaven who saved our souls. Why do we take him at his word? Because in his word is the empowerment and the ability for the salvation of the soul. I found this to be true in my life. I found it, uh, it was 2011. I was in a shoebox apartment in downtown Dallas. I was so broken. I was so lost. I was so depressed. I was so anxious. I was addicted to, to, to broken things. And I was desperate. The only thing I knew, and I didn't trust it, I didn't believe it to be absolutely true, but the only thing I knew was, okay, I can read my Bible, and hopefully by that I'll find some spiritual connection. I was reading, it was a Saturday morning in October, and I came to this passage. We're not going to turn there. It's in Titus chapter 3. There's this beautiful verse in verse 5 where it says God saved us. And I can remember, okay, saved, that's what I want. And it says, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. In that moment, through the power of his word, was the salvation of my soul. It was accomplished by Jesus, bought by his death, granted to me by God through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it changed me. Here's the thing, though, guys. When you strike oil, what do people do? They dig for more. That began a journey imperfectly of me trying to come to know the beauty and the majesty, how the creator of the universe was everything, how he saw me and he loved me, and he was worth giving my life to. Why? 
you take him at his word because his word contains the knowledge and the truth for the salvation of the soul. Let's keep going. Let's look at verse 16 and 17. These these are familiar verses perhaps to some of you, but let's look at 16 through 17. All scripture is breathed out by God profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The third reason is we talk about why we are called to take God at his word. It's for this reason. God's word is purposed. It is meant to lead to the formation of the believer. The formation of the believer. Here's what I mean by formation. I mean spiritual formation. I mean maturity. I mean this beautiful process of you and I, not because we ought to be, but because we love to and we want to, becoming more like Jesus, which means me becoming a person more marked by love, consideration, courage, boldness, humility, patience, rebukeability, as well as willing to correct and admonish. This is a place where the formation of me as a follower of Christ This is a tool that God uses, a primary one in conjunction with his people and his spirit to change my life. Not to simply just make me a better version of myself, but to make me more in love with the beauty of who he is. Let let me show you that through the passage. Paul, he starts out here, and again, it's his language, all scripture. So he's connecting the breadth of God's divinely revealed word All scripture is breathed out by God. I love that. It's literally speaking to this theme where the the greatest language, Paul, under authorship, empowered and carried along by the Holy Spirit, he writes, God's word is like his breath on a page. It's his breath on a page. And here's this beautiful truth that we'll see through the rest of this. God's breath is always meant to bring life. God's breath, we don't don't have time to talk about this. You see this throughout your Bible. God's breath brings life. You see it show up. What's true of all Scripture? It is profitable. Who here doesn't want to be profitable? You want to be profitable? I want to be profitable. Right here, he's saying spiritually, in this sense, you can be profitable, not in health, wealth, and prosperity. That is a twisting of what God has breathed out by false teachers but in the truth where you can grow in his goodness, in his majesty. Profitable. For what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I love the way one scholar summarized that. He said it this way, for teaching, that's like your doctrine. For teaching, that means what is right. For correction, what is wrong. Or excuse me, for reproof, what is wrong. Right. For correction, how to get right and for training in righteousness, how to stay right. You see here how God's breath on a page, his breath, is meant to lead to life in you and me. You see, you don't pursue being right for rightness sake. The Bible is not a list of do's and don'ts. It is a divinely inspired rescue and redemption letter about the creator of the universe and how he saw fit through the death of his son to love you, to love me. In the midst of my brokenness, in the midst of my foolishness, in the midst of my faithfulness, in my best obedience, in the midst of yours as well. 
And what do you do in deeming this beautiful book, this one for the formation of the believer, what do you do in seeing it this way? It's profitable. And you want righteousness. It leads to life. God's breath does. The final thing Paul's saying here is God's breath. What does it lead to? It leads to maturity. That the man or woman of God may be complete. Again, your Bible, it may say competent. It speaks to wholeness. It's this theme of maturity. It's this biblical literacy in application with wisdom, humility, the steadiness of the soul. You know these people when you get around them. Like if you have the Holy Spirit within you, you know these people where you come and they're attractive. Why? There's more of a holistic, a complete development in what accompanies the mature in Christ. It is not a liberal commitment to the Word of God. It is a view of it as literal, historical, contextual. You take him at his word. It grows this real love, real grace, to where you find yourself complete. Does that mean perfect? Does that mean you have it all together? Does that mean that you or I, we never have a bad day? No, your Bible teaches it doesn't. But what does it mean that we're ready? I love this that you may be ready for every good work. It's this call to the moment where God, in your life, he wants to use scripture to form you, to form me, to help me come and see not just that he saved me, but how I am to live, how he loves me, how when my child comes home after being bullied at school, I can turn to God's word and give timeless, eternal counsel, not my opinion. How when I'm in a business meeting and all of a sudden my boss begins to go in an unethical direction and dragging me to it, I can rightly represent in grace, the truth, the conviction, and the cadence of my heart, how you can come and be a father in a home, or a boyfriend in dating, or one aspiring to date, or a student going off to college, or a student joining a virtual classroom this fall, and be marked by a truth of God, and that when whatever moment comes upon you, the desire to push uh, immorality, the desire for self-exaltation, help, self-affirmation, uh, the desire to sit in insecurity, the desire to make your home in anxiety and in depression, the desire to be marked by things that are not meant to mark you, Christian. You are meant to find life, teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Why? that makes you complete, and that in the completion, in the maturity, you are ready, I am ready for every good work. I think about this so often because I just have the privilege of my job and talking with folks who come and they say, man, I just, I don't feel ready. I don't feel ready. Now, part of the role of, of even um, the church is to equip the saints for the work of being ready. So there's a right relationship of coming and training people in this righteousness. You can go back and see right at the start of chapter 2 in 2 Timothy. Paul reminds that. But so many times you come and you connect with people who have sat, who have watched sermons, teachings, had Bibles on shelves, who should be ready. But they're not. This is not for shame. This is this is not for condemnation, but this is for clarity. Why is that true? 
You may intellectually know that God's word is profitable. But at the soul level, the heart level, you haven't yet fully deemed it as profitable for you. It's perhaps an expense. It's perhaps an insecurity. It's perhaps a discipline that you don't want to take on and you excuse it away. But church, I just want to elevate the profitable truth when you take God at his word, how it grows in you a maturity, makes you and I more loving, kind, gracious, all the fruits of the Spirit complete. And from that, we are useful to the Master. We are ready for every good work. Church, this is meant to mark us. We are meant to be people of the word. This is God's truth. We don't, we don't have time to go into it, but from the beginning, one of the greatest deceptions is, did God really say, where we twist God's word? His word is absolutely true. Its intention, its meaning, it's to be the purpose, the centerpiece, the foundation of the family. How do you do that? How do you apply that? Well, when you're thinking about your family, and again, this doesn't have to be biological. It can be your spiritual family of God, which absolutely exists. It can be biological, or you can be single. The first place you have to start is the honest recognition of, do you love the Word of God? If you don't, I would recommend to you what Timothy did. Right there in verse 14, it said, Timothy learned and firmly believed. What's connected with firmly believing and being convinced? Loving learning. We talk often about find a time, a plan, and a place. For many of you, now is the time. You schedule the time. You ask someone else to hold you accountable, and you go. The second thing that this does is it speaks to the salvation of the soul. This holds the words of eternal life. Why? Because in it, the Holy Spirit carries people on preaching the true nature of God in Christ Jesus. How do you do that? One, I would recommend to you that you memorize Romans 6.23. It's a beautiful verse that when you go to share this gospel message, when you go to tell friends, when you go to remind yourself, when you work up that nerve by faith, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to tell the colleague you've been praying for. Share the verse. Why? That verse helps illuminate the truth of God's word. Do you need it? No. Does God use it? Yes. And then you remind yourself the beauty of this every day. The gospel is something, followers of Christ, we have this terrible tendency to think, okay, I got it, let's move on. No, 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 no. You restore me to the joy of salvation is the prayer of David. It's a daily washing, a daily lavishing. But what's the third reason why we take God as word? What is its purpose? What is its intention? It's for the formation of the believer. I'm asking you, if, if you do this, if, if you're a believer, if you hear sermons or if you read passages and the first thing you do is you think of others, to no longer do that. To, to pause and to say, no, 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 God, what would you have for me? This is first meant for you and then from you. What do you do? You take it to the world. We'll talk about that next week. You preach the word. You be ready. But in order to be ready, you have to love God's breath on the page. I'm not saying we all start there, but I'm saying you absolutely, Christian, with the Holy Spirit within you, can get there. 
If you're confused on any of that, you just reach out. We will help you with every step of this. I'll close with this thought um, because it's something that I think so many Christians, we can tend to miss or go the wrong direction. It was actually, I was watching a sermon by, by another pastor and I really appreciated it. He gave this visual demonstration of how God's word is often, even though well-intended, misused by God's people. Here was his illustration. It talked about the word of God, the mouth, how we interpret that, and then how we share it. And he gave this visual in the first one. He said, this is how many people approach and treat the word of God. Again. He gave this example of what many folks do. They take the word, they bring it to their mouth, and then they share it with others. I hope you know, even from the visual, there's a tremendous breakdown There's a tremendous goal that God is trying to bring in your soul and mine, and this is it. Church, parent, single, boyfriend, girlfriend, freshman in college, freshman in high school, fifth grader, whoever you are, I'm pleading with you, when you come and you open the word of God, never miss the application, the heart, the focus to you. Take God of his word. As you do, you will see it change you. Take God of his word. As you do, you will see it change others. Why? God's word is absolutely true. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gift of it, the privilege of it, how we can come and connect with you through it. I thank you for what it's meant in my life. I thank you for what it means in the lives of so many people gathering and watching and the families trying to pour over to disciple into kiddos, to community groups and singles, to disciple into friends. A sincere understanding, appreciation, and love of it. Bless them. May they keep going. May we always be a people of your word. We sure do love you. We thank you for loving us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for joining us this Sunday morning. Y'all have a wonderful week of worship.